gummy bear. It's the internet, you're busy, let's do this for July 14th, 2023. For the next hour or so, let me help you sort through the world of gaming on Game This Mornings Live with me, Jeff Grubb. Today, Microsoft, the CMA, and the FTC continue to maneuver around one another, and EA's soccer game might not suck on the Switch, but first, please join me in welcoming today's co-host, the Game This Mornings. It's Lex Luddy, everybody. Lexi, how are you doing? I'm so fucking tired, Jeff. Yeah, you've been you've been oh, working a lot. What's uh what's what's up? What you been doing? Where 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 you been? Uh, so Tuesday morning, I get up at four a.m. I fly to England uh, for all my crimes. Uh, of course, they finally they finally got me. Yep. Um, and they'll never take me alive. I don't know how they caught you, but they're never gonna catch me. They're very good at like tracking down Irish people. They have some. Uh, okay, they do. Um, they, that makes yeah. sense. Um. And I went out to Brighton for the Develop Conference, which is a uh, developer-focused games conference that you might have heard bits about. Um, and I was there as press, which is kind of a weird experience. I was invited there because I was a plus one for a friend who was nominated for an award. Um, and then, like, I just had a very free schedule to walk around this hotel, like show floor that yeah. was wasn't that big but you know every booth that you went up to like they were recruiting people they weren't you know people weren't there with games you know you know e3 is great because if you ever run out of something i say you can just walk up to someone and just be oh what are you showing if you go up to someone at like a developer conference wearing a media badge and you're like oh what are you working on they're like we're not announcing for another four years please yep. go away <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, so, I, I've been to a bunch of those kinds of things, and it's 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 a very different vibe. It's fun to talk to people yeah. still, uh, especially like all these different places where it's like I, it's a completely different orbit. Like I did a couple, in, I did a Singapore had a game thing uh, two years in a row, and I went out to that two, both years, and uh, it was very cool because I like it was people I never would have saw at E3. But I'm not, was it a, a good use of your time? Did you feel like you made some fun contacts or something? Totally. Like I I was sending this to a few people, but like I have. Mm, I talked so little about video games at that conference and it was so refreshing. It was talking to people about work in a very yeah. different way. Um, and no one's asking you about like, oh, what do you think of this game? No one's asking you, oh, what are you playing and what's your take on it? It's here's what we're working on. Here's how we're working on it. Here's the cool shit we're doing. Here's how we make things work in difficult circumstances. And like, it's really great just to get that feel. Uh, and see how much effort everyone puts into things. Um, there's also like a lot of PR people there, and so that's great for making contact there, and there's other media people there, so it's good for a freelancer like me to be able to go up to an editor-in-chief and be like, hey, hi. Um, but yeah, it's really nice, and I... So, a funny story I will tell is... First night I go there, um, I go out to the award show with my friend and with another friend, and then we're like, okay, the award show's over, we didn't win, but we had a good time. What are we going to do? It's like only, you know, 7 o'clock or whatever. Um, so we go out to a beach, and Brighton is a seaside town, so we go out to um, a pub on the beachfront, and we're sitting there, and one of the guys with me who used to run the website that I now run, he now works at Unity, he turns to his right and he goes, oh, hey, Chipsel. Um, and it's the composer who did the music for Super Hexagon and oh. uh, Dicey Dungeons, who I interviewed six months ago. Uh, and we wound up just like hanging out with them all evening. Um, and yeah. like, she's also Irish. She's from Northern Ireland. Uh, and it was her and her girlfriend. And honestly, I think more people should bring non-industry people to games events because it really improves the vibe. Yeah. Like her girlfriend <laughs> does, does not work in the games industry at all. And like, will just like talk to you about like this stuff seems kind of stupid it's like yeah you're oh good yeah, at yeah. This oh you got it got it yeah. one yeah. well done congratulations yeah. for for uh really nailing us to the wall because that's you're correct uh yeah. i um yeah the, the these events they become the average of like everyone who's there and uh, uh some of them uh, yeah i've been to it's like oh most of the people here are like chief marketing officers and it's like okay listen you got you i'm sure you're fine people but you guys have really turned this into kind of a nightmare factory of ways to exploit people i'm not feeling great about it but uh i, I remember i did a um i did one where i hosted the panel or i was the moderator or whatever 
And I didn't, you know, I, I, it was for this event that like paid for my, my travel out there. So I felt obli like an obligation to do that kind of stuff. And, you know, as I'm like talking to them, they're like, oh, just don't bring up the gambling laws because there was some like mobile thing. And they're like, oh, there's, it was like social gambling, which isn't real money gambling, but it's like still like this weird thing where people could spend a lot of money on it. And I was, uh, I was talking to them, about, but I'm like, I'm, I'm still going to ask about that a little bit. So I'm sorry. You're just going to have to deal with that. But it's when it's like a conference with those kinds of people, the, the, the vibes are bad. So, um, I, I definitely, uh, that was, that one was at Amsterdam and it was like very refreshing to just walk outside and see real human beings. And I'm like, okay, this this is much better. Yeah. I'm just gonna go explore this this area instead. It's also one of the best things is when there's another conference on at the same time because there were a bunch of like airplane pilots around this hotel, and every now and, and they were all American. So every now and again, someone would just go, "I think these people make video games." And it's <laughs> like, I was like, "Oh, this is this is very weird for you." I'm sorry. It's uh, yeah, it's 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 a fun thing, I'm, but I'm glad you got to go out there. That sounds it sounds like a good yeah. time. Sounds like you got you got in there. It, like, it sounds like you're busy too. You weren't able to pay much attention to what was going on in the world. Yeah, it's it, Brighton is a lovely city. I met so many people who, uh, people like Natalie Flores, who you had on the show. Oh yeah, and, Natalie yeah. is great. Uh, I I met her while I was going into a Tesco to get some water, which is like kind of the vibe you get. You just like walk into people that you That's know. That's fun. Um, and you know caught up with them and talked to them about like the jump from pr to or from press to pr and all of that so like it is conversations that you just don't get to have online um and it's so much more chill uh i think the the way i described it someone was like when everyone is on twitter because everything is takes and opinions or when everyone's online it's takes and opinions you start to judge people based off of opinions yeah and like if someone says i like sonic you're like fuck that motherfucker I right hate the piece, just a piece talk. of shit yeah yeah like who the hell likes sonic but then if like you're talking to Boomers. someone in person yeah and they're like super lovely and they're like oh i loved the sonic games when i was a kid i'm like yeah you seem pretty cool yeah whatever <laughs> yeah. yep yeah uh the social media platform is very dehumanizing and uh <laughs> yeah. actually talking to people uh, very, very humanizing. It's always It always works out that way. All right, let's get into this mess. But before we do, let's explain what we do here. Most weekdays, I, Jeff Grubb, will help piece your gaming life back together. That includes breaking news and maybe even some of our own original reporting. For all these topics, I'll get the input of a bona fide expert who will make me look smart. If you are watching live on Twitch, welcome. You can always listen to the show later on podcast feeds by searching for Game Mess Mornings or find the RSS on GiantBomb.com. You can also catch the show later with chapters and timestamps on YouTube. Hello, YouTube. Okay, we have a lot to get into, so let's start the morning mess with UK regulator extends Microsoft Activision merger decision deadline by six weeks. This comes from Tom the Machine Ivan at VGC. The UK's Competition and Markets Authority has extended the deadline for its final decision on Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. The regulator had been scheduled to deliver its ruling on the $69 billion merger by July 18th but will now do so by August 29th. Just more and more time taken up by this stuff. The CMA considers, this is a quote, the CMA considers that there is insufficient time remaining in the statutory period for full and proper consideration of Microsoft's submission on the proposed order, the watchdog said. As such, the inquiry group considers that, the, that there are special reasons to extend by six weeks. The revised period will therefore end on August 29th. Uh, however, the inquiry group aims to discharge its duty as soon as possible and in advance of this date. The CMA initially blocked the deal, but of course now we know that they are renegotiating with Microsoft right now, and they are going to take a little bit of time on that, but they want to get this stuff done pretty soon. Um, Lex, Lex, the, the UK was the one that was like standing in the way of this deal the most, and now they've they've softened their position, but it's hard to tell exactly what that what that's going to look like. Um, they, they they've not indicated that they're like, well, we're just going to accept the old deal now because we we just given up. Um, I, I, again, we, we, I always feel like I have you on and ask you what the hell is going on with the UK. But I mean, do you expect them to be able to actually act speedily on this? Um, no, the UK never acts quickly. Um, <laughs> I know that for as my brother lives in uh, Northern Ireland and that government is extremely slow at getting anything done. But like, I, I just want to make sure I have things right because I have been trying to keep up with things. Yes. Basically, the C what the CMA have done is they've said, we will negotiate with Microsoft, but because of that, we will have to redo our investigation exactly. based off of whatever they come back to us with. They um, may have to do that, but that seems to be, yeah. yes, they will do that, is how they're phrasing yeah. it. Yeah. And so I think this... I think 
something like this is actually really good as long as you're not someone who's reporting on it or not someone who's being up to date with it every day and it feels like everything's just going at a snail's pace like your regulatory bodies being flexible and saying yeah. we'll we'll look at this in a reasonable manner and we'll extend our times we won't just get it done because it has to get done by a certain date like that is the rigorous sort of things that you want your governments and your regulatory bodies to be doing um these are some of the biggest this is one of the biggest deals in history like it shouldn't just go through because we ran out of fucking time um and we couldn't get the papers in on time uh when it for us it's like a head wreck because we wind up talking about the same conversation again and again and again and again. And for people listening, it feels like nothing is happening or the same things are happening again and again and again. Um, but from purely a political and economical point of view, I'm way happier that they're doing it like this than they're just rushing through and saying, yeah, no, this is fine, whatever. Yeah. Um, then then rolling over as soon as the FTC has lost and saying, well, if the FTC lost, fuck it, let's just let it all go through. Like, keep on doing your job. You may as well. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm right there with you, where it's like uh, this is a, an aggressive regulator that is also uh, open to uh, the realities on the ground and willing to have some flexibility in their aggressiveness, I think, is is about right. I think that's the right tone to strike. And... um you know, pu pushing these companies to really, really make their case is is where they need to be. I, I don't think they just should be. It's they they need to be because you want these companies thinking about these the these decisions and the ramifications of their of their financial maneuvers in uh and in, in these terms of like yeah sure we can imagine all the money we're gonna make and we can imagine the market share increase that we're gonna get. They should also be imagining having to convince a regulatory body that answers to the government and that, that answers to the people to, to prove that this is not going to harm anyone. Uh, and then if they, if they are forced in that position, then they should then, you know, be building in caveats and exceptions to reduce the harm as much as possible. And that's exactly what has happened here. It's, it's, it has played out exactly right. And we're going to get to a story here in a little bit about uh, FTC's Lena Khan, uh, the commissioner of the FTC, uh, getting blasted on on uh, on Capitol Hill because she, because of what's happening over there, and it's like I think the same thing happened there. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. But as far as the CMA is concerned, uh, them, them just saying, hey, yeah, we are we're re renegotiating, but we have um, uh, we still have some concerns, uh, and and we still want to do our due diligence. I think that's completely fair and, and continues to be right. Now, if for Microsoft side of things. I can see why they might get frustrated because this July 18th close date has been known from the very, very, very beginning. And it definitely feels like in the FTC's case that they've, you know, we're running out the clock to cause problems at this time, but that's the strategy. And I think again, that, oh, that okay, that's Microsoft's problem, figure it out. And, uh, and here we are now. Um, and, yeah, and it on. is a significant, yeah, it's a significant date as well, because I, I think I had this conversation at someone, uh, while I was in the UK, but like, the deal closing next week or whatever it was going to be feasibly you could imagine microsoft now suddenly be having being capable of having a lot more conversations at places like gamescom at things like that at those events than they can now have because it will be end of august after gamescom and they won't be able to take those meetings on behalf of the new company that they own uh, so it's probably like that isn't the end of the world for them, but they're probably like a bit pissed that they just can't yeah. close it and have it done. And so, you know what? A big company's pissed. Kind of so what? So what? Yeah. Like, yeah, well, well let's uh, there are long term ramifications here. And uh, I don't think that uh, any of these regulatory bodies have been super great about sussing this stuff out. But even a little bit of like rubble thrown into the machine uh, requires people to go in there and see how everything's working and that is providing some insight. It is providing uh, uh, some uh, understanding of what might possibly go wrong here. And I, th I think most of, most of Microsoft and Activision's answers to those questions about how this might work have been satisfactory for the most part. Uh, and I just, it's better that we get them than we don't. Uh, now, uh, Microsoft is thinking of some pretty bold moves in the UK to appease the CMA. Um, as part of the story, they say, according to Bloomberg sources, the company could sell the cloud-based market rights for games in the UK to a telecommunications, gaming, or internet-based computing company 
or possibly have or to possibly a private equity firm. It's also been claimed that Microsoft executives have been exploring ways to close the acquisition despite a UK veto on the deal. Microsoft wants to complete the transaction before its merger agreement expires on July 18th. So they are still going to try to close this. I think they probably will find a way. But one of those ways seems to be, and we talked about this yesterday, the divestiture, this is in a, uh, this is what this looks like. So this is like more information on that story. Um, they they might just say, hey, we have the cloud streaming rights. We will just sell them to a complete other entity and not, and we'll step back and just, you know, we'll t- take their money. But otherwise, they, they, another company is going to benefit from this stuff mostly. Um, and that's something that probably the I think the UK would probably accept. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, like that seems. I remember being on the show a, month, a few months back and us being like, that seems like a really drastic option, but it doesn't feel as drastic now. The idea of Microsoft having someone else publish or distribute their games in the UK to appease people. Like, I think you've listened to a lot of the court case. I listened to pretty much all the court cases. Like, you really get a feel from everyone at Microsoft are like, we will do fucking anything to get this through. We will clap and dance. We will do whatever you say um, as long as you approve this deal. And if they're looking at one country where they have to make an exception, uh, one country that is definitely not their biggest markish, um, it's a big market, but it's not the biggest by any means. Like, I'm pretty sure, and especially if it's only cloud gaming, like, they'll be happy with that. And ultimately, they can make it like a two-year contract and... It then runs out, and then they go, "Okay, we're going back to doing it only through XCloud, and this yeah. sort of thing." Yeah, and it's um, it's the kind of thing there where I think the U- UK CMA would be would look at it and say, "Okay, this still gets the um gaming consumer in the UK most of the benefits of this deal, maybe maybe with like sans a few things, but for the most part, they're going to get the benefits of this deal, and yet we could still see a cloud gaming uh, competition happen in our market, and uh, you know." Well, you know, I think they'll probably be like that. That's the best we can hope for in a world where the alternative is. And it's according to the story, according to what we've heard Microsoft suggest a bunch of times. Uh, there's been a lot of reporting on it. The alternative being Microsoft closing the deal and just bypassing the UK and working around it completely. I think that would be something that the, the CMA would completely want to avoid. So and, and that's again, the, the, the evidence there is they are back at the table. They are renegotiating. So. We'll see the results of that. Um, it, it, you know, you can imagine stuff happening both in the short term of Microsoft making as many moves to close by the July 18th date as possible, and then these slower term things of these regulators uh, still coming after Microsoft, even if the deal closes, uh, because they, of course, usually have the legal backing to do so. Ju- July 18th is four days away, which is wild. Yep. Like, I think right everyone has kind of forgotten that like this deal has been going on so long. July 18th seemed so far away Not and anymore. it's still, yeah. And so what more can you do in four days? Um, I would be very interested to see or to hear what the vibe at Microsoft is at the moment, especially higher up the company where you're seeing the bird's eye view of all of this and you have four more days to try to figure it out somehow. Yep, um, let's move on here uh, to the other side of this. The FTC asked court to halt Microsoft Activision Blizzard purchase. This comes from Jordan Midler at BGC. The United States Federal Trade Commission has asked a federal court to further halt Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Uh, this is on top of their the, the appeal that they are making to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, earlier this week, the Xbox maker won a court battle with the Federal Trade Commission, which is seeking to block the deal over antitrust concerns. An existing temporary restraining order on the deal ends just before midnight on Friday, but the FTC has filed an emergency motion to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals asking for a temporary pause on Microsoft's closing of the transaction. Microsoft wants to complete the transaction before the current merger agreement expires on July 18th, after which Activision Blizzard could walk away with a $3 billion termination fee if an extension isn't agreed upon, which they probably would, but who knows at this point. Uh, We're disappointed that the FTC is continuing to pursue what has become a demonstrably weak case, and we will oppose further efforts to delay the ability to move forward, said Microsoft President Brad Smith in an emailed statement to Reuters. Uh, The FTC has claimed that Judge Jacqueline Scott Corley's decision to refuse a preliminary injunction to halt the deal raises serious substantial issues for the Court of Appeals to resolve. Granting an injunction pending appeal is warranted because the FTC is likely to succeed upon appeal. 
the agency wrote. More fundamentally, the court committed an error of law when it relied upon the self-serving testimony of Microsoft executives that they do not intend to foreclose rivals as a reason to find the FTC had failed to make its prima facie, prima facie case, uh, the FTC wrote in its motion. Um, so yeah, you, yeah, they're continuing to, to fight this fight. They're continuing to make their points and saying that the judge messed up uh, last time. Uh, who knows how compelling that is to, to for any of this. Um, but what, what matters here is they, they uh, made their appeal for an extension to the temporary restraining order, which is still happening right now, but it does end later today. Um, and that temporary restraining order prevents Microsoft from closing the deal. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the FTC went to, uh, the courts to, to ask for this, this temporary, uh, injunction to, to be extended, uh, for a longer period so that they could run through their court case. They were denied that motion. And now they are looking to have the ninth circuit court of appeals, uh, impose that instead, which seems, it seems weird because you just lost the case about it. You had every opportunity and you have a, like a, you know the, the the reality was we 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 talked to Kirkland about this when we had him on, uh, basically saying like this is a uh, um, a low barrier for the FTC. They just had to prove that there is some harm, not not that there is you know a certain level of harm or or anything like that. Uh, you know, they're, they're, it, it just needs to net out as some potential harm to someone, basically, other than PlayStation. And uh, the FTC failed to do that, so it, it's weird that they might get this temporary restraining order. The thing here though apparently is is that if the if the tro the temporary restraining order expires tonight before the ninth circuit court of appeals gets to it it sounds like they can't just extend it and it sounds like unlikely that they would put a new one in place before the july 18th opportunity for microsoft to close the deal so it's it's this weird situation uh but the ftc at the very least is pushing on all fronts they are appealing they're asking for an extension to the restraining order uh they are not sitting back down at all and i think that comes back to them just that this is their strategy they waited until the like near the end and then they pulled the trigger on all of these maneuvers to cause as many problems for microsoft right around the july 18th date so that they could maybe cause a traffic jam that would cause microsoft to miss it and create and to maximize the potential that microsoft and or activision would walk away from the deal that has always been the strategy, and that strategy has only been amplified by them over the last couple of weeks, and and now here we are. So it's no surprise to me, Lexi, that they did not abandon that, and that they are going still for every possible headache for Microsoft uh, uh, that they can muster. Uh, there's a lot of like backlash to that from like Xbox fans and from Republicans on Congress. That's the next story here. Do you think that 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 that's a um, a risk they run of making themselves look a little bit like oh you keep losing these cases even though they know they're going to lose the cases? Yeah. Do you think that like makes them look politically vulnerable or anything like that? I that was literally what I was thinking about the entire time you were talking. Was it's really interesting to see people be like oh the FTC can't do its job? Aren't they like a terrible you know body of the government? Aren't they? basically like the fail girl of the government like institution <laughs> at the moment just sort of fucking up constantly and trying to like like they look like they can't get their shoelaces tied but like in reality they're doing a lot of very pointed things and doing as many things within their power and even trying to use other parts of the government to exercise extra power that they don't have and the thing that it is really making clear to me isn't that like, oh, the FTC it's, is weak. It's that, oh, the FTC doesn't have the resources that it should as a body. Like, the fact that your body to investigate and stop these merging deals can't actually put a hold on them, can't do things that would actually get your company to stop and wait for them to fully decide if it is or isn't um you know going to have an impact on the market it for me it reflects worse on the lack of support that the ftc has from the wider american government and i know that there is a whole half of the american government that very much so does not support the ftc pretty much ever uh, and is begrudging that they even exist but it like i don't think the ftc look weak I think the FTC look like they're getting fucked over at this point. Uh, and they they look like they're being given no other option than to fight losing battles. Yeah, and I, th I think it's, um maybe it's not resources, but it's like the the backing of like the, the, the law. The law is very, it was made, you know, 
uh, the Sherman Antitrust Act and all these things were put in place uh, decades ago. And so they are trying to regulate a modern economy and modern companies using rules that were designed for, uh, you know, antiqu antiquity. So they, like, I think they are held back by what the law enables them to do. And I'm, I'm like, you know, as, as much as this case is a headache for people and it's annoying and you hate hearing about it every day, I'm, I'm like mostly, I think it's a nice balance. I think that, and I, that's why I'm like, I kind of think it's fine what Lena Khan is doing because she is, I, I think they should have a high barrier of, of, of in, interfering with, um, the, the economy. I think they should have to make a really strong case to be able to actually like to kind of pick winners and losers, which is, you know, it may, maybe a, a, a crude way of putting it, but that's what it feels like. I think if they, if they can prove their case, they actually should be able to, to stop a deal. Uh, but I think that the, the balance is struck when they are throwing themselves into the gears. I think that that is a completely fine strategy because it's, it's, Again, it's like it puts these companies in position where they have to really think about if what they're doing is going to be worth it. If they if they do have a strong case, if they can position it in in both um, you know arguments in court and in reality to be as beneficial to consumer as consumers as possible. I, I think Judge Scott Corley, Jacqueline Scott Corley, had it absolutely right when she said that the FTC already won because Microsoft made so many caveats and so many exceptions to to, to placate these regulators before they ever got to the point of being in court, that the, that these regulars kind of got what they want. I think that, um, uh, you know, for Lena Khan, it's a little bit more serious. It's a little bit more like, hey, we actually want to stop these deals 100%. But they are getting some wins along the way. They just want that big win of, of actually stopping it. And they might not get that. They probably won't. We still don't know, but they probably won't. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the results are, are nil. It doesn't mean that there was no positive results here. They absolutely did make a positive impact by getting people yeah. to, but by getting these companies to make agreements to keep things on the level with consumers as much as possible, so I, I'm pretty happy. The way, with it. yeah, the way I would explain it is in rugby in the league season, the way that they do it is if a team scores four tries, they get a point no matter what in their league table. But like, even if you don't win the match, you still get a point. If you lose by within seven points, you get another point. So like, you aren't winning the game. You're not winning but you're still doing what you're there to do. You're still building up points throughout the season. And like those things do slowly make an effect. That's and like exactly if we right. do just, yeah. And if we do just want to like go into the next story, there is a part of me that just fucking dies inside. Every time I see someone online be like, you're leading for the billion dollar company. And it's getting really, really embarrassing. And I don't know why you would do it so fervently. And I don't know, like, I'm not a big fan of the government. The government usually winds up fucking us, the people as well, quite often. But when it comes to, like, the government trying to run a country and protect people and a billion dollar company that is literally just there to maximize profits, I kind of know which one like is yeah and it, it's it, it's not like it's the billion dollar corporation is specifically bad the system is bad like capitalism produces these terrible results over and over and over again regardless of which you know gizmo manufacturer we put into that slot they they are incentivized to exploit consumers and their workers as much as possible and how do you and like in in this system which is very imperfect how do you incentivize them to rethink that and to maybe step back from that ledge a little bit. And some of that stuff is public pressure. Uh, a lot of that looks like, um, you know, criticism on social media and, and, and outrage. And that, that has worked repeatedly, at least in the video game industry of people yelling at these companies and the company stepping back from the ledge and be like, you know what? We will listen to this because we, we, th these bad vibes we think hurt our bottom line. I think that th this is uh, another form of that. And uh, again, I'm, I, I think that it is a little kink in the works of capitalism and that that's not going to really hurt anything in the end. And yeah, it, uh, sure, uh, the, according to the law, the FTC has a weak case in all that stuff. Yeah, definitely. But that's not, who, who cares? I don't care that they have a weak case. I care that they produce positive results for consumers and that has happened. So we're not we're not yeah. taking bets on who's winning. And I think like the, it came up during the actual court hearing where they were talking about someone was talking about previous law and previous case examples. 
and they were talking about uh, a medical uh, drug manufacturer building more factories or whatever. And the big difference between that case and this case was like, hey, listen, this case has become so much more public than that ever would have. People aren't cheerleading these engineering firms and these medical firms building these buildings that were trying to decide if there's a monopoly there or not. But like people have taken sides of this other thing um, of the because it is in such a public sphere and it is in gaming in particular where everyone feels the necessity to take a side on fucking everything. Yes. So, God. Yeah. I think that's been uh, the biggest lesson I've learned over the last two years ish is I don't have to take a side on everything. Uh, uh, John, Johnny Depp is doing something. I, I don't care. I don't. I don't care. I've never met that guy. I don't give a shit. Why do I have to have an opinion on that? I don't. So yeah, that's uh, that's where I'm at with all that. Uh, I, we we've talked around this, so I'm not going to do the full story on on FTC in Congress. But uh, ba basically, just um, a lot of Republicans are giving her a hard time, Lena Khan, because they because she's a Biden appointee and she is running the FTC in a way that is, uh, according to the Republicans, anti-business. And they are pro-business. They're the pro-business party. So, of course, they're going to be yelling at Lena Khan and giving her a hard time. Uh, gamers showing up on, on Twitter and watching fucking C-SPAN uh, to yell at her as well. I mean, it's the fanboys. What are you going to do? Uh, of, course, yeah. of course, they're doing that. So, uh, I'll just say, I think we've made our point about, like, uh, why this is still beneficial. Uh, okay, let's move on here. Starfield and Indiana Jones were both expected to sell 10 million units on PS5. This is from Alex Hopley at Game Reactor. All right, video games. <laughs> That's right, video games. Let's get to them. Xbox CFO Tim Stewart has revealed that before take, taking them exclusive, Starfield and the upcoming Indiana Jones game were both expected to sell 10 million units on the PlayStation 5. Uh, I, I just don't. OK, hang on. Steven Totillo posted the statement over on Twitter where it also seems that Stewart was confident lost earnings from the game's exclusivity would be made up by extra Xbox sales and Game Pass subscriptions. Even with these huge numbers, Microsoft still didn't wish to see either game on Sony's platform. Um, no, maybe Starfield, yeah. maybe Starfield. But I, like, that look, was that was what I was going to say was like, I'm a young person. I, the only reason I really fucking love Indiana Jones is because my like dad introduced it to me and i watched them That's all right. back to back yep. on a sick day home from school and uh -huh. i was like this is the fucking most incredible shit ever oh, I'm glad like, you young like people it. don't yeah people don't care about young people indiana do not care jones. about indiana jones when they do they're like you mean that like the, they made a joke about it in the new the new movie but they're like that grave robber he just steals things from cultures and puts them in british museums i'm like okay yeah good point good point i'm sorry yeah. i'm sorry but okay uh starfield can sell a bunch over time and it will and maybe 10 million on ps5 and so, someone chat says this over maybe over five years I, I i agree with that uh indiana jones selling five million copies at any or i'm sorry 10 million copies over any amount of time on ps5 is pretty absurd uh when you think about the last of us barely getting the last of us part two barely getting to 10 million on ps4 and now also PS5. I, I don't know if there's a PS5 only version. Actually, I think we might talk about that a little bit. Uh, but um, and it, yeah, it does but... totally feel. Yeah, it totally feels like the at some like we talked about how important IPs are to these companies now, and how everyone thinks that you have to have an IP for your game to sell really well. Yes, but some people think the IP just by fact of it being old or it being something that is maybe popular online, that means that it is a big IP. And that is just not the case. And, um, you, know, and it might, you know, I think Indiana Jones is technically a big IP, but that doesn't turn, you know, straw into gold automatically, right? Yeah, like, you know, people didn't go see Solo. And Solo was a movie that starred probably the most overall popular Star Wars character, was yep. actually pretty okay, reviewed pretty all right, and, like, people just didn't go see it just because there was a feeling of, like, oh, this either isn't the real thing or it's, like, not quite exactly what I want. So I really don't think that, like, people are just going to sign up because you put the IP onto it. You have to either really prove to them no this is a core part of the ip in the case of like star wars jedi survivor people really feel like those are almost yeah, point. as important as the disney plus shows they feel that those are as important as a star wars movie and they are because they add some really important things to the lore and um, if 
this Indiana Jones thing, if the story in that is only as important as something from young Indiana Jones or the face of Atlantis, people aren't going... It's not, in Jeff Bacala's words, it's not important. (laughs) I I mean, I think you're one million percent correct because that's what happened to Solo, right? It didn't feel important to the overall story. It wasn't like... Uh, and I'm burnt out on MCU, but let's be real about what makes the MCU work. You got to the point where you're like, well, Ant-Man might be important in the story. And now I'm fucking watching goddamn Ant-Man. I, I like Ant-Man, but it's like... I, Not it, the it, new one. The new one's bad. Don't I, watch it. I actually it. haven't seen the newest one. Uh, yeah, because again, burnt out. But um, uh, better than bo- The Flash. Uh, yeah, okay. It, I mean, I haven't seen that either. I'm kind of, I'm like morbidly curious about that one. Um, But it's like, you, 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 you could see like, like... Uh, w- w- when you are going along watching all these movies, like, oh, if I go watch Ant-Man, it's going to contribute a little bit more to this overall story that I've invested a lot of time in. And I think that that is right where some of these big uh, video games have started to figure out if we could contribute to that feeling, we can really get the benefit of these IPs in a way that we can't from doing something new. Uh, but that is, there's no guarantee that your development team is going to be able to figure that out and then also make a fun game on top of that. That's, yeah. it's really challenging. I mean- yeah. Because, because like, we talked about this maybe the very first time we ever talked, but, like, Hogwarts Legacy sold so fucking well because there had been such a dearth of content that people felt was important. People did not feel that Fantastic Beasts was important. It felt like no. just a fucking, like, stage play turned into a movie. Mm-hmm. But, like, the game was like, oh, this is the thing that I actually think this ip represents and so they fucking bosh it does that mean that this avatar game will sell well or sell poorly they haven't shown enough of us to know if it's like actually what people care about yeah and i think it's uh it just shows like no one knows it's so hard to predict i think that you can increase your odds you make a good game you make it look authentic to the property uh you um, strike the right marketing tones uh, you you give you give a, the, a promise to the player. Obviously, Hogwarts Legacy's promise was you're going to get to live in this world in a way you never got to live in it before, and that stuff is compelling. Uh, but it's a all those things only sort of increase your odds like a few percentage points here and there, and you kind of got to add them all together to get to a point where they might succeed. So the idea that an Indiana Jones might sell 10 million copies on PS5 alone, pretty wild. If that would make it one of the best selling games of all time, if that was the case, because 10 million on PS5. Uh, several more million, like what, five million on Xbox? Then uh, maybe, I guess it's on Game Pass, so like maybe three million on Xbox. Uh, but then another ten million on PC. Like we're we're talking like a twenty million seller. I just don't the, don't see that happening. The only way it would sell that well is if they just like kept whatever that planned story for Wolfenstein Three was and put Indiana Jones in it, okay. and they had Indiana Jones kill Mecha Hitler, and not, like then it would. Talking my language. Oh, yeah, now that's a that's a fifty million seller right there. Let's fucking go. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Let's move on. Microsoft is, says that pulling Call of Duty from Steam was a failure for Activision. Uh, this comes from Zach Zweizen at Kotaku. Uh, in a new filing from Microsoft detailing the company's post-trial findings and conclusions after its recent victory in court against the Federal Trade Commission, the Xbox maker revealed that Call of Duty leaving Steam was part of an Activision plan to grow Battle.net. But according to the docs, this controversial move was a resounding failure. In 2018, Activision announced the PC version of Call of Duty Black Ops 4 would skip Steam and launch exclusively on Blizzard's Battle.net service. And uh, and for about five years, Activision stuck to this plan, even though it frustrated fans. Then in 2022, Modern Warfare 2 came back to Steam. Um, I, I Lexi, I file this one under duh. Like we could just yeah. we could just feel this. But these companies, this you know, this happens with these companies. They do these cycles where everyone's leaving Steam and then everyone comes back to Steam and and. What changes with with Valve? What changes with Steam? Not much. They just continue to operate their platform in a way that attracts a lot of players, and that is the key. That's where people want to be playing their games, and the power of that is so strong. This is something like going back to Epic Game Store, giving away free games, and and, uh, and buying exclusives uh, from from publishers at the end of games development cycles, and and buying exclusives really just means paying to keep it off of, of Steam, and how it was never going to work. That stuff was never going to work. It was a huge waste of resources for Epic. And here, here we are proving that that's exactly what happens with something like that. You can try to move these games around. You could try to use exclusivity as a, as a cudgel uh, to change player behavior. But once player behavior is ingrained, changing it is 
nearly impossible. And that goes back to, you know, Phil Spencer saying that people have their library on the PlayStation. They're not going to abandon the PlayStation for Xbox. And I, I think that this this just this proves that out. I think that's exactly right. So I, it, it also goes back to them saying that um, if if he were to make Call of Duty exclusive to Xbox, uh, they would not expect some huge number like 5, 10, 15, 20 percent to move to go and now get an Xbox instead of PlayStation. It would actually be like a lot of people would just be like, I'm just going to stop playing it. And I think that there's some evidence there. There's some, there's some, this is kind of bears that out a little bit. Um, but do you expect Valve and Steam to kind of go back to just being like everyone is, is bringing their games there and there's not many, that many, uh, not as many PC platforms as there used to be? Yeah, I think that the great experiment of how many icons can we fit onto the bottom of someone's Windows bar has slightly failed. Um, like Rockstar gave up and like Rockstar only ever had like five games on their launcher. No one's going to download a launcher for five games, even if it is a Rockstar game, because you look at that and it's like an empty list and it feels fucking bad. It feels bad to look at your game collection, be five games and be like, well, I couldn't even expand this if I wanted to. Uh, Blizzard have gone away with it because for the longest time, before there was a instituted steam before steam was the institution that it was like world of warcraft was there that is where you got world of warcraft so like it made sense that they could do it but when you try to build your own platform like that it doesn't matter if you have the exclusive content if you don't have all the other shit too and um, if battle.net doesn't have all the other games that are on steam if it doesn't have all the indies all the like everything else People aren't going to open it because it doesn't feel good. They're not going to download it because it doesn't, like, feel like a worthwhile investment. Like, I'm only getting one game on this platform. Why would I, like, spend my time on this platform? Why would I dedicate... Why would I go trophy hunt hunting on a platform where I only play three games? That's yep. why no one cares about trophies on, you know... No one cares about trophies on Epic. And no one ever oh, yeah. will care about trophies on Epic. Because, like... I'm just not playing most of my games there. And so why would I ever make that the place where I spend all of my time or value the things that I have there? Like games on Epic feel slightly less valuable in a weird way. And it's, um, I think Valve understands this deeply. Uh, they uh, were offered a 10-year deal to bring Call of Duty to, to Steam uh, from, from Microsoft. And they were like, First, we trust Microsoft when they say they're going to do that, which, yeah, of course, we, we know that they want to uh, make as much money as possible. They've made it clear. And they're like, yeah, we believe you when you say you're going to bring it, so we're not going to sign it. But they also said, we don't believe in signing these kinds of deals because we believe in making Valve or making Steam as uh, attractive to developers as possible. And we think it's our responsibility not to sign these sort of deals so that it forces us to make the best Steam possible so that people want to put their games out there. And that a lot of that is 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 bullshit. A lot of that is they have the momentum. I think there's some truth to it though. I think that it goes back to like the flat structure and hiring the be the best people. Things we've heard about Valve in the past uh, and, and how they're like, we want to be you know uh, 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 the kind of thing where it's like you've got to be creating the next big thing to make sure that this place is the best place to put out your games. And I I think I mostly I'm down with that. I think it's mostly right. Um, I. Of course, I think I prefer uh, competition, but also I, I also want to play my games on Steam. That's where I want to be playing my games. So I get it. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of not surprised by this story at all. Uh, all right. Let's see here. Microsoft Core Documents, a show they believe Nintendo's next platform will launch in 2024. This comes from my Nintendo news. Uh as you are most likely aware, Microsoft has been batting, battling it out with the Federal Trade Commission regarding the proposed takeover of Activision Blizzard. During the proceedings, plenty of information has emerged, which previously hadn't been made public, concerning Microsoft and its competitors. Court documents show that Microsoft believes that Nintendo is planning to release its successor to the popular Nintendo Switch sometime next year, which lines up with the general rumors and speculations surrounding the, the successor to the Nintendo Switch family of systems. Um... Now, Lexi, I, I don't know if Microsoft has any insight. I doubt they do. They're probably guessing like the rest of us. Uh, but I think it's probably right to prepare for a, a Nintendo successor next year if you're one of these companies that is working on something that is, or that is a competitor. Um, but it's funny to me that my, even Microsoft probably doesn't know, right? Yeah, like it's... I think for Nintendo, 
like they're very happy to be out of the cycle like we were complaining about them arguing so much about like oh what generation console is it like nintendo are more than happy to be out of being like strictly compared to everyone and it just adds to the extra bit of like oh no nintendo are different like they're not like the other companies um and that also means that they don't have to be quite as direct with the other companies. When I was at Develop, it was like made pretty clear to me that like Nintendo have very every, everyone has very similar ways of doing things, except Nintendo. Um, and even when you're making a game and you're submitting it to the eShop, it's a different process to everyone else where it's standardized. And that is true in basically everything. Like Nintendo don't need to talk to anyone, so they just don't really talk to anyone. Why would they? Yep, exactly. Um, all right, we're running out of time. Let's move through these uh, last couple of stories here. Uh, Media Molecule opens Dreams Creations to commercial use. This comes from Marie DeLisandri at GamesIndustry.biz. Media Molecule has updated Dreams usage terms, allowing players to use some of their creations outside of the platform's ecosystems. In a blog post published on Wednesday, the developer clarified that it won't apply to all creations, but personal and commercial use of music, animations, film, and films, and art made in Dreams will be allowed outside the game. Users will only be allowed to use creations they made themselves. This means that, then this is a quote, this means that if you use someone else's creation in your own work, you will need their explicit permission if you want to use it outside of Dreams, for your intended purposes, Media Molecule clarified in its fact. In 2020, the studio kicked off beta evaluation for commercial use of, of Dreams creations, but creators being able to use what they made in Dreams commercially had been part of the vision for the title since its early days. Uh, the the game is, of course, coming to an end here pretty soon. Uh, they're going to uh, pull, pull the servers. Uh, uh, I think that's how it's working. Or maybe they're stopping it, stop selling the game here later this year. Um, but... This is surprising to me. I thought they would not actually pull go through with this. I thought this would get abandoned as part of the slow sunsetting of dreams. Uh, and I'm otherwise I, I'm pretty excited about this. This is cool that they're actually seeing this through and giving people the chance to take the things they made in dreams, which are often very impressive, and selling them for commercial use and making money on them. I, I mean, who knows what that ends up looking like. Uh, where you're going to be able to buy these things. Uh, I, I Maybe nothing actually ever comes of that because no one actually cares. But if they do, I would love to see a dream game or a dream art project take off and find some audience and people be able to make money from that thing. I don't know. What do you think? I wish this had been done so much sooner because I, talked to, I talked to several developers who were like, the tools that, dream ha that Dreams has are really fucking cool and I really like what they've created but there is no way in hell I'm going to tie something that I have made to a closed ecosystem where there is literally no way to get me to get it off of there and sell it for myself. Um, and that was always the problem with Dreams, was there was, like, it's great that it was this community-driven thing and that everything was free on it and that everyone could try out everything, but there was no way to use those tools in a way that, like, developers could kick on from that and could like actually take the hard work that they had done and put that onto Steam or something else. They just couldn't take it out of Dreams. Uh, and then Dreams only stayed on the PS4 and Dreams didn't come to PC. And suddenly it was like this closed ecosystem with yep. a very hard cap of how many people are going to see your game. And like the most people that saw games on Dreams weren't even people that played Dreams. It was people who were on Twitter and like those ones went viral. And... Like, that, you can't build a business off of that. So I really think that, like, Dreams is such a cool thing that they made it and that they spent so much time and effort into it, but this should have been done so much earlier. Yep, agreed 100%. I think that uh, these are the kinds of games that are very difficult to manufacture. Like, you can stumble into something like one of these. You make a Minecraft, and suddenly now you've got a Minecraft uh, um, community store where community creators are selling stuff that they made. And uh, you do a Roblox, and and like you, know, you start Roblox small, and you make a bunch of little games, and then you open up the community tools, and suddenly it's a $45 billion endeavor or whatever. Uh, that stuff is, is, is I think... It, it can happen. Games can support it. It's going to be a part of gaming going forward. The, the UGC stuff is important, but like saying we are Sony, we are going to make something UGC uh, powered and it's going to be a, a, a big platform. It, it is very hard to to make that just flash that into existence 
and you need to do everything sort of to make it as open as possible, like you said. And Dreams was never in that position. Um, it, like, like the idea of like a dream, Dreams on mobile was like so far from reality, and that would have been a big part of making that happen because you know there's this you know, community of young kids growing up that like imagine or that that do make their own stuff in games, and uh, that they never had access to that because they were probably not going to just go play it on their PlayStation. Uh, all right, let's uh, this let's hit this last story. EA Sports FC gets release date and Switch version that might not suck. This comes from Ollie Welsh at Polygon. During a starry live stream on Thursday, EA announced that the new era of its soccer games, minus FIFA branding, after the publisher parted ways with the sporting gov- sports governing body in 2022, will begin when EA Sports FC 24 is released on September 29th. The release date was widely expected as an end of September birth is traditional for EA's football games. Indeed, there was few surprises during EA's official reveal event for the new game, but perhaps that was the point. Over its 30-year history, the FIFA series has become a juggernaut that makes over a billion dollars in yearly revenue from its ultimate team mode alone, and EA must be keen not to fix what isn't broken. So the watchword for EA Sports FC 24 seems to be continuity. EA stressed its extending licensing deals with the biggest leagues in the sport, including the UK Champions League, Spain's La Liga, and the UEFA Champions League. Uh, Elsewhere, it chose to highlight visual and animation upgrades in a new gameplay trailer. There will be improved representation for women's football with women joining men on the pitch in ultimate team for the first time. The cover star will be Manchester United's Erling Haaland. Uh, There's one area where EA Sports FC 24 will break with tradition, though. A very welcome break with one of FIFA's game's worst traditions. For four consecutive years, EA has released what it calls FIFA Legacy Editions on Nintendo Switch. All essentially reskinned roster updates of the Switch version of FIFA 19 with no gameplay enhancements or updates whatsoever. IGN, for one, has been stinging its criticism of these releases uh, for years. Uh, EA Sports FC 24 will be different. As detailed by its own trailer, the Switch versions will move to the same Frostbite game engine as the other platforms for the first time and will be much closer to its siblings in terms of features. The Switch players will be able to enjoy a less limited version of Ultimate Team, as well as a -a five-a-side Volta Street football mode and player and manager career modes. Uh, this this is pretty cool. I I've liked uh, some of the FIFA games on Switch years and years ago, and then I never checked back in because they were these legacy editions. And the idea of paying a lot of money for a game that is essentially going to feel old to me, uh, I could never get over that hump. Um, and roster updates are as someone who only pays you know so much attention. I'm on the very much on the periphery of soccer and football. Uh, the roster updates weren't weren't enough to to move me. Uh, this uh, the idea that they did the work to get Frostbite the version of of FIFA of now EA Sports Football Club running on the Switch at the end of the Switch's life is both weird and cool to me. What do, what do you think? Yeah, um I super fucking hate soccer, but <laughs> um but um I think that this is actually super interesting. The um the idea of having a something that's more akin to FIFA Street on the Switch also sound the 5 on 5 um is a super interesting idea. Um, and I think that, like, it's interesting that that might not be in the other versions. Um, but also, like, the additions that they're making are very substantial additions. This is something that I wrote about for Play Magazine, where, like, the main reason I stopped playing a lot of sports video games is because, like, the women's representation in them is terrible. Um, and when it is in there, it's usually, like, pretty poorly done, and they haven't licensed half the stuff that they need to license, or it's a side mode that doesn't feel great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like the fact, like, they have the money to do this. They're one of the few sports games that have the money to license all those women's teams, too. And, like, women's football is a massively growing thing, especially in America. It's huge for ye. Um, and I think that it's a smart business move and it always has been a smart business move to basically pivot to like, hey, like there's another 50 percent of people on this planet who also like sports and also like video games. And they would probably enjoy being able to play as themselves in these games. Yep. Um, so it's long overdue. Um, and I would love it if more games did this. I know I'm currently like trying to line up to review the next rugby game, which is like. Those games aren't great, but I'll still review it. Um, but like they'll never feature their women's teams in them, and that's just like because not enough people buy those games. So like FIFA yep. has the money to do this, they may as well, and they should be leading from the front. Yeah, I think it's a um it is 
a, a demonstration of a, a sport or a country's uh, dedication to uh, to do being better and doing good. The more they encourage women's sports, I mean, I think it's one of the. Uh, uh, you know, in America, we used to do great things, and then we mostly stopped doing great things. So, you know, we've I think we've done great campaigns to get people to stop smoking. A lot of people still smoke, but but whatever. And it's, uh, and the like the other thing I think that can be proud that the American can be proud of from the last 50, 60 years is Title IX women's sports and college colleges getting as much money as men's sports, and and what that has um, in, uh, empowered women to do in the United States, and uh, and you know, and and then the knock-on effects of that having a, uh, the United States having great representation in women's sports at the Olympics and, and World Cups and things like that, and how they're always these these world-class teams because of that investment. And I think that um, the uh, these corporations picking up on that and kind of carrying the torch and saying, hey, we are going to at least include some representation here continues to be fantastic. And I, uh, I, you know, it seems like worldwide, Women's soccer leagues are are growing. Uh, I I you know I know there's there's one that is um, picking up pace here in, in North America. But I looked, it's like okay, no, there's there's one there's, so throughout Europe. There are several women's leagues that are getting pretty big, and that's that should be in the game. And I'm glad that they are are putting more effort into that. That's fantastic. Uh, okay, you know what? Let's get to the poll from yesterday. Uh, before I do that, though, Lexi, why don't you tell people where they could find you, what you have going on, all that good stuff. Yeah, this was like the busiest drug stay ever. Um, yes, there was a lot to talk about. We have a bunch of stories I cut out there at the end. Yeah. Um, so uh, you can find me. Uh, I run a website called Startmenu, startmenu.co.uk. Um, we're a website for young journalists get breaking into the industry to have a safe space, to find opportunities, get to work with an editor, figure out how the industry works and everything. We are currently bringing back our podcast. First episode is going up on Monday. The idea of that podcast will be that we will be talking about topics for about an hour, but each episode will be hosted by me or uh, another person from Start Menu called Audrey Johnson, who's super lovely. Uh, and then we'll have one other guest or we'll have other guests from Start Menu who are super inexperienced and we'll get on a guest that's someone that i know that's been around the industry for much longer so the first episode that is going up on monday is me and audren and um uh harry schofield who is a writer for start menu and then willow Rowe from inverse who has their own podcast and she's incredible she is such a good writer but the idea is just to like really get people both having a podcast where there is massively unique perspectives to experience and then also helping the people who are on that podcast either, hey, this is how I explain things down to a new person or a new person being like, oh, this is how a professional does it. Um, so like that is that's the thing that we're putting a bunch of our effort into. Um, Grub, I'm definitely going to ask you to hop on at some point. Please. Um, and uh, I'm really hopeful that it will help people. Uh, and I'm trying to help people diversify the type of journalism work that they do and it not just being writing at the moment. Um, you can also find me freelancing about the place. Uh, I'm doing a bunch of stuff uh, for Play Magazine at the moment. There'll be a piece next month with um, Andrew Shouldice, the creator of Tunic, uh, that I've been working on for about a year and I'm very proud of, um, with some never seen, never seen before things in it. So check that out when it hits store shelves. And there'll be a thing uh, on a video game with an animal that you might have seen me tweeting about also in that um, which has some very interesting tidbits from the history of Sony. Um, so that will be maybe the month after. Um, and apart from that, you can find me on Twitter at basically Lexi, uh, basically with an I and Lexi with an I. Um, and yeah, I'm around. Thank you so much for being on the show today. We got the, uh, the poll from yesterday. Let me get it up here. Gex is back. And then 43% of respondents said, oh no. 57% said, oh, yes, let's go. I am, uh, they, I'm excited about it. They all said it in a Dana Carvey voice. <laughs> yes, of course, yes. Um, uh, who, wait, was Dana, was that the, the voice actor for, uh, it was Dana Gould, right? Dana Gould. Dana Gould, Dana yes, Gould, Dana yes. Gould. I, I, like, Dana Gould is, like, such a weird comedic figure. He always popped up in weird play. I think he wrote on Bill Maher's show for a couple of years, which is a very weird thing to do, but... Uh, Dana Gold, you have, you have fun. You can, I hope you come back and reprise the Gex role. Um, I, but it would also be great if they didn't and like they remastered the games, but the audio is just like really shitty. 
Yeah, yes. I kind of like that too. Exactly. Perfect, actually. That's the right way to do it. Uh, all right. The new poll for Monday when we come back and do another one of these is Do you care about Indiana Jones? Yes, no. I just want to see. I just want to I just want to see what y'all say. I, I maybe, don't hurt me, important. but I want to see. Ask if it's important. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Dan, you got that? Is Indiana Jones important? And then uh yes or no. There we go. Uh, if you already put it, put up the other poll. Oh, no, he's grabbing it right now. Thanks, Jen. Uh, okay. Thank you, Jen. That is going to be answered on Monday's episode of Game Mess Mornings here on Giant Bomb. Speaking of Giant Bomb, we have a UPF today. We're going to play XO Primal on UPF. I think we're going to do that oh, around. Yes. Let's see. What time, what time are we going to do? It was, I think we're going to do that at 3 p.m. Eastern, so noon Pacific time. That, that time might move around. Things are in flux because I'm trying to figure out who, who could be on there because a lot of people are busy today. Uh, I'm I, very excited to finally see that game because I feel like I've been seeing people try to explain it to me since like 2020. And like, I just, every time I feel like I don't actually come away knowing what the fuck it is. Yeah, yeah I'm like, I'm really, I'm expecting it to just be like any one of these co-op shooters. But then I remember it's like, it's not just PVE. It's PvPVE, right? There's two t teams of five. But you never interact with the other players. They're just off doing their own thing, okay. and you're basically I wasting. I don't fucking know anymore. I don't know. I guess uh, I guess we'll find out here on UPF later today, and then next week we'll get back into our, our normal schedule. We will have Game Mess Mornings throughout the week. We will have the Bombcast, of course, uh, Blight Club. There might be a new uh, uh, Jeff Jeff's Bizarre Adventure, all that stuff. They're watching Cowboy Bebop. It's very fun. Um... We will four swords fiesta. Uh, should we should try to get that back? But we're also going to do some more stuff with AEW on Wednesdays. Uh, let us let us know if you want to see more four swords adventures because we uh it's it that game is much longer than we first anticipated. So I like to see kind of how the excitement around that. Let me know. Uh, but otherwise, we're going to figure some stuff out for next week here on Giant Bomb. Until then, though, Lexi, thank you so much for spending today talking with me talking with me about video games. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Absolute blast. An audience, you're the best audience in gaming. Until next time, have a good one. Take care of yourself and goodbye.